Hello, my name is Marshall Schenk, and this is the Proven Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by the White Heart Cafe, where community happens over coffee. The White Heart Cafe is all about fostering a welcoming culture of love, equality, and development through an exceptional quality product and customer service experience. So uh, if you're in the Lynchburg area, be sure to stop in today and grab some amazing coffee and even better conversation. All right, on with it. Today, I have uh, my friend and guest, uh, Shane O'Neill, who is the editorial director of Proven Men. Um, we're here today to talk about uh, his article that he wrote a few weeks back called Jesus, Your Body, and Five Dead Porn Stars. Shane, how are you doing, bud? Good, man. Uh, excited to be talking about you all. Uh, it's an important topic. Sure. I knew this was a heavy one for you. Um, it was a struggle for you to write this one um, as you were in the office. Um, and, and tell us a little bit about that. Why, why would that be the case? Mm. Well, when you're looking at the stats of, of well, self-inflicted wounds or even just suicide uh, amongst any occupation, it's a hard thing. And mm. death, death, yeah, death is no small matter, especially when it comes to something like porn and potentially something that we have to take responsibility for, uh, at least a little bit when 97% of Christian men have looked at porn. That's, uh, yeah, that's just heavy. It is heavy, for sure. Uh, well, you write this article in three different phases because um, you cover a lot, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to have you on to talk about it was um, there's a lot of content having to be shortened down into a blog where people uh, actually want to read it and not spend their entire lives. So giving the opportunity to be able to just listen to the dialogue, uh, the heart behind the article, that's a good reminder to If you haven't read the article, um, it's probably best that you stop, press pause, and go on over to provenmen.org under the blog section. Of course, the topic is Jesus, Your Body, and Five Dead Porn Stars. Go ahead and read that now. Um, but you break it down into three different sections. Um, sex and shame is the first Sex is sacred is the second, and then uh, the gospel in your body. So my hope is just to be able to walk through um, just all three of those, um, to hash those out, to hear your thoughts on those. Why, why did you write this article, um, and what does it say, what does it have to teach us um, in the modern-day church as, as gospel believers who, um, who have maybe partaken in this uh, or who still are? Um, so first question, uh, how do you feel the public response to pornography um, affects the women behind the camera? Hmm. Um, well, we know explicitly that at least one of these women uh, committed suicide just because of how how they were treated uh, within the social strata. So um, so that we know it, 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 it plays immediately into this context. And when you've got five and three months, all because of drug overdoses or hmm. suicides, and they're in the business of pleasure, uh, hmm, yeah, they're in the business of pleasure, yet they're taking their life, and and so they're just they're just properties there. They're they're we affect what's going on. Hmm. Yeah, and you you made an interesting point starting in the article. You said after all, they make good money, and their job is to have as much pleasure as they can. So why suicide? And and that alone, that starter, um, immediately grabbed my attention. Like these are people. This is a world. This is a culture that we live in that says. Um, take and eat if it's good, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we live in a culture where um, in the 50s, the sexual revolution was based off of um, 
attacking these stale traditions, right? Uh, moral traditions to be able to say like, why, why not? If it's fun, if it feels good, let's have at it. And it seems that this situation, um, it seems that what's going on in these past three months, um, would point to that maybe seeking pleasure isn't the ultimate essence of like worth value and pursuit in life. Yeah. Well, when it's causing you to kill yourself, I think we can come to that conclusion for sure. And yeah. And you're right. Happiness uh, is an entitlement here in the West. Uh, and so learning to see ourselves a bit deeper is a big part of this article for sure. Absolutely. Um, so the, I did a little bit of research about um, this article because, well, just this topic of five dead porn stars in three months. And um, I don't know if this is the one that you were referencing and, and relating to and writing against or writing for um, in relation to rather. Um, but the New York post, uh, had posted this article about this same topic and had a lot of quotes with women in the industry who, um, were affected by the reality of this. Um, and it was interesting because you, you essentially in the first part in sex and shame is saying, um, you're calling men who have partaken in this, not, not just necessarily, um, verbally abusing this, um, one porn star, but, um, but really, if you're partaking in objectifying these women at this level, you should take some responsibility for their suicides, for their deaths. Um, and I thought it was interesting because I decided, okay, under the comments of the New York Post article, I, I would go and uh, and look at some comments to see how people, the public, which everybody knows that typically comments under a video are not the best people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just interesting that um, just three quotes to share. Uh, one person said, because they are drugged out of their minds, uh, right, so it posed a question, why why, are, why is this happening, essentially? And he says, or sh- this person says, because they are drugged out of their minds, hashtag whores, mm-hmm. also, who cares? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just striking, right? Enough, enough yeah. to, like, that shakes me. Like, yeah. who cares? Um, who, who, yeah, who cares? And the second says, doesn't matter. <laughs> Three things for sure. You're born, you live, you die. Um, so this feeling of, yeah, who, who cares? Because everybody's going to be born, everybody's going to live, and everybody's going to die. It doesn't matter, right, if somebody yeah. commits suicide or not, um, is what he's seemingly saying. And then last, um, with the username Beefy888 says, am I supposed to feel sorry for them? Uh, yeah. And it seems like your article is, well, to the first question, who cares? Mm. You should. Um, and am I supposed to feel sorry for them? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, it's, hmm. that's just heavy, Marshall. Um, when we reduce ourselves to just supply and demand, right? And mm. somebody else is the supply to my demand. Um, you're going to run into stuff like that. And then you've got, I mean, a very post-Christian era where where truth is relative and where morals don't really matter and when you die nothing happens um there's no responsibility so this nihilistic approach to life where nothing matters your life doesn't matter uh it's not intuitive to me it's not intuitive to the people I know but there are people who are subscribing to it living that way and porn certainly works under that that worldview model and yet there's great tragedy that plays out within it and I think the Christian community needs to respond to it right yeah I I mean just an ethic of Christian 
um, belief is that human life matters. Yeah. That right. So yes, uh, these women are making life choices that we would deem sinful. Yeah. Um, which leads us to our, our second point. I, I think what you thought, well, I guess in that same article, you had said that 80% of us use pornography. Yeah. Uh, and you call, you, you almost call us Christians out, Christian, um, yeah, the Christian culture out by saying like we stand on, well, and then this is how I read it. We stand on the street corners with our signs protesting these actions. Mm. Um, mm. Yet in our private home settings, we pursue them. Mm. Um yeah, talk talk a little bit about that. I th- thought that was interesting that you uh, you'd drawn that out. Yeah, there's a an obvious hi- hypocrisy taking place in that, and um, Christians are super vocal about morals, which is fantastic. Uh, but there's hmm, there's venom to what we say, and I'm not sure if it's because of a dirty conscience or not. But the stats play out like 80 percent of men. Uh, have viewed porn, but 90%, 97% of Christian men have looked at porn. Um, so yeah, so there's just, there's, those figures just kind of stand for themselves. We have to take responsibility for that and, and to land blast something in public, but then to privately mm-hmm. indulge in it, it yeah. just does something to your soul. And, and I, I don't think we can live with that kind of duplicity. Um, yeah, I I know. Jesus, we're going to have to look Jesus in the face one day with that. But even today, as far as shaping cultures and shaping families, that's something we need to reckon with. Right. Yeah. It's almost like we would, in our response to look pious out in public, uh, we shame these people, thereby undergirding our belief that human value is not um, is not contingent on the choices that you make, that you are inherently valuable because you were created by God. But in our, yeah in our shame and in our pursuit to look pious, uh, amidst that shame, we, uh, turn from that and, uh, attack that person rather than upholding and uplifting them. Um, and, and I wonder, right? Like, so also Marshall, it's, yeah. it's, it's safer. It's easier mm. to, uh, ridicule someone else's lifestyle uh, than it is to take responsibility for your own. Mm. It's a self-justification model, right? We, we don't want to, we know what we're doing is wrong. So we hate other people for what we do and we exonerate ourselves and they can die for us, mm. right? They bear our sin, they bear our death and we can just send them off to do that. And then we feel exonerated for it. So there, wow. there, there's some kind of, yeah, there's just a lot taking place. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, in your second part, um, you talk about, uh, how sex is sacred. And and one thing that I've been studying recently that's just been pressed on my heart is the sexual revolution in the 1950s, 1960s. And, um, Marcuse was a, uh, Frankfurt school of thought, um, Marxist who uh, was kind of the marketer of this in early 1950s through his book, Eros and Civilization. And, uh, He's basically, in what we talked about a little bit earlier, he basically makes the point that um, true freedom is found in being able to do whatever you want. Um, have at it. That's where uh, value of life is found. Um, that's where freedom will come from. Um, 
which I think is interesting coming from a Marxist, but um, that was kind of the, the stamp that uh, approval. And now we're seeing in, in multiple movements, we're seeing the effects of that, right? That like my actions actually have consequences. Um, and so talk to me about, yeah, you wrote, um, it has been said that pornography is wrong, not because it shows too much, but because it shows too little. So when people reduce themselves to being known skin deep, they rob themselves of value. Mm. Um, well, yeah, work that out. Yeah. Um, uh, so I have, I have a, a long history with pornography and, and sexual relations. Uh, and I noticed something, some kind of pseudo healthy trigger in my own imagination a few years ago that where I'd, I'd, I'd look at somebody, uh, lust after them. And then I'd instantly to try and combat that lust. I try and look, look for flaws in them mm. so that I could, I could criticize them and deactivate my, deactivate my lust. Um, yeah, looking, looking for the bad. Yeah. And it, it took me a while to, to realize that we're, we're, we're beings that love beauty and mm. that there's an aesthetic to, to human beings, which is cool because the, the church has a long history with aesthetics and, and visuals that capture the imagination in holy ways. Mm. Um, and, and that plays out with, with nudity. Um, if you, in philosophy, there's an area of philosophy dedicated to aesthetics and those who study are called aestheticians. And, the difference between and a statistician would tell you that, that the difference between pornography and and nude art is that nude art uh, is intentionally trying to capture um, capture something deeper, showing that that there's a there's a beauty to the contours and to the reflection of man and woman, uh, and it it reflects God or it reflects dignity or it reflects value. So mm. it's it's supposed to be a window into something deeper. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, you right with like the Sistine Chapel, you've got Adam and whatnot playing out and there's just this beautiful scene, but pornography, it, it, it is, it's, it's, it's an end for its own sake, right? So it's, here's the flesh and get off on the flesh because mm. there's nothing more at all. Right. right. So that's not, that's, that's, yeah. Again, aesthetics, especially Christian aesthetics says, says there's beauty in the world. And so it points to a beautiful God. Mm. Whereas you see, gosh, the, the the nudity in porn is Romans one, where it just points to itself, and there's this this degradation and yeah, devolution, if you will, uh, playing out. Dehumanization. Yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's evident too in just the rampantness of violence that you see in pornography today. Um, I read that statistic. Um, I'm going to have to search for it, but, um, yeah, statistic making the point that like, uh, violence, uh, in pornography that, well, a study was done and Mike Kunzinger did, uh, had mentioned this in a forum the other night that, um, a study was done at Notre Dame, I believe he said, mm -hmm. where they had the crowd watch pornography and an overwhelming majority of that pornography was violent, right? Mm -hmm. It showed, uh, um, violence within that. And the response of the woman was not disdain or, um, disgust, but rather pleasure. The woman in, in the, <clears throat> in the film. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Or in the video that yeah, they had yeah, them okay. watch. And so uh, overwhelmingly majority of, um, and I know there's been a lot of really good, uh, work done to that end to figure out the level of violence, um, and the percentages of violence. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to look that up, um, soon. 
um, I'll probably put that in our, our notes at the bottom of this show podcast, notes, yeah. but yeah, show notes. So, um, but yeah, so when I'm learning uh, about sex through pornography, which was my story, right? At 14 years old, I grew up in a Christian home, kind of in and out of church. Mm-hmm. My parents were believers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on the back of a school bus learning about sex for the first time in my life. And we can talk about the fact that I probably should have learned about healthy sex before I was even exposed to something like this. Um, But for the sake of our conversation, um, in those moments, I was learning that sex included violence. Mm. It included, it Mm. included dehumanization. It included uh, the end of intimacy within sexual act is just getting off yeah it's just having an orgasm and so being a married man now (laughs) i can tell you that that is so shallow it's so empty it's so perverse and pervasive and pervasive to what um is actually the truth Mm. um is actually playing out there uh so i think you were spot on i i I loved that um absolutely love that i I, uh Just to play that out a little bit with my own story, I started watching porn before I could physiologically respond to it. Wow. So I were captivated by beauty. And if we don't have a rich theology or even orthopathy in, in the way that we raise our children and the way that we define that we, orthopathy, orthopathy, for, ortho, for orthodox, me. right, right teaching, yeah. uh, orthopraxy, right praxis. Uh, and then orthopathy is is right feeling, right wow. emotional wow. engagement, right soul engagement. Um, mm. And uh, and if we, I think that's that's aesthetics, that there's something that, that draws us to beauty. And if we don't have healthy outlets for beauty, right. and we don't have a healthy, um, comprehensive explanation for beauty, then beauty in and of itself will be the end. And that really is what's playing out there in Romans 1, that God Mm. is the ultimate beauty and the ultimate value, and he made things beautiful and valuable. Mm. And then man looked to those beautiful, valuable things and stopped looking past them to see the ultimate value and beauty in God. And they just started worshiping themselves, and they just debased and fell and fell and fell. And here we are today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. well, and I'm going back to Mike Kunzinger. He, he had made that point um, the other day that one way to combat um, one way to combat pornography and the use of pornography is to simply uh, replace those things that you find beautiful mm-hmm. in the world, right? Like go on for me, go on a hike, yeah. right? Like taking a sunrise, yep. and so um, you you have this issue um, that's playing out in the, in the lives of men that they're they're. Yeah, objectifying these women, almost out of almost out of this like innate human nature to desire to chase after beauty. Yeah. Yet we can replace those things that are actually beautiful and don't um, totally don't devalue what God has created. Absolutely, Marshall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's uh, there are definitely healthy practices to engage beauty, and I think that there, it's not just a matter of not watching porn. It's a matter of engaging something else with passion, right? Because we put a lot of passion into watching porn. I mean. I would, I would stay up for like hours. Right. Like I said, I, yeah, I just, I just loved it. We just, I just loved it. And so replacing that love with another love and learning to fall in love with, with hiking, with nature, right. With, uh, with even exercise, with those things that engage your chemicals as well as your, your fascination. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about um, the cost, right? So 
uh, when reading this article, um, you had mentioned the Me Too movement. You said the one thing the Me Too movement has shown us is that it's shown us a lot. Mm. Um, and it, well, and it's shown us a lot mm-hmm. is that sexual interaction is uniquely holy. Mm. Uh, and when it's abused, it can rupture a nation when it's done right. And so that reminded me of an article that uh, Matt Walsh had written titled, um, the ridiculous sex assault allegations against Aziz Asari. Uh, and he makes the statement here that I, I'm not sure I agree with. Um, but he says that proves that the Me Too movement is a witch hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just a little background story. Have you heard of it? Have you heard of this story at all? Which story? The Aziz Asari situation no, with the I don't Me Too so. movement. Um, well, a magazine entitled Babe, um, written an article by Katie Way, had. Um, Anonymous woman had come out against the comedian Aziz Asari um, and had kind of foretold a story about a night that they were hanging out at a club. Uh, I maybe get some of this wrong, so don't quote me on it, but hanging out at a club, they go back to his house after a night of drinking together. Um, and then through that process, uh, the story gets pretty, um, pretty odd. Um, you know, there's, uh, so, you know, there's sexual acts done to one another. Um, she had said like, no, I don't want to have sex. He said, that's fine. He had alluded to the fact that he would like more oral sexual acts done to him. So he, um, yeah, he asks, she acquiesces to these actions and it's this back and forth. Um, really odd scene that you, you see play out. Um, and when she's ready to go home, right, he um, calls her an Uber mm. and then he says, that's, you know, that's fine. Go home. Mm. Um, and so one thing's for certain, like he's a jerk, right? Like, sure. like, sure. Absolutely. hundred percent. Like yeah. definitely would never want to be around him. Right. Okay. Sure. That's fair. Sure. Uh, but the call was that this was a part of the Me Too movement in that she was sexually assaulted, that she was abused in this in this context. And um, Matt Walsh says this, and it's a long quote from his article, but uh, this woman's called Grace, um, this anonymous woman. So Grace felt violated, violated after the fact. Um, I don't blame her for that. I blame her for seeking revenge by publishing intimate details of a clearly consensual encounter, but her feelings of emptiness and vulnerability are perfectly Mm -hmm. warranted, Mm -hmm. perfectly warranted. She was indeed violated, but she was complicit in the violation. That is the nature of casual sex. Mm -hmm. The two partners violate each other. A man uses a woman's body for his own selfish ends and the woman allows it and reciprocates by using the man for her own purposes. If either wake up feeling depressed the next day, It's because they regret participating in such a degrading and humiliating exchange. The regret is real and it can be crushing, but it does not retroactively turn the events in the previous evening into rape. The sex remains what it was when you willingly participated in it. Self-centered, dehumanizing, shallow, soulless, and yes, consensual. Um, So he's, he's making the point that Right. These these acts aren't something to take Aziz Azari to court for. I'm arguing the point that even outside of pornography and within casual sex, you know, this right call to the sexual revolution that you should experience all that you can experience in this world of pleasure that actually people are coming out of the other end feeling like crap. And for me, I know that was true. And I'd watch pornography immediately after Um, there's this emptiness. There's this. 
yeah, shallow feeling. There's this a hole um, in my heart um, shame that you feel um, that I think is is tying perfectly into this, right? You've mm-hmm. taken advantage of, of something that is holy, as you said. Mm-hmm. It is a holy act. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ben Shapiro had made a comment in his podcast that, yeah, like, like of, of course you feel that way. Like, of, of course you're going to feel that way. Mm. Maybe that's why we have standards of consensual relationship. Maybe that's why you're supposed to date, get married, and then have sex, right? Because there's mm. bounds there of, you know, emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy before there is yeah. this physical act. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there, Marshall. Um, yeah, a whole lot. Um, I guess a simple way of looking to find out if something is sacred is to look at how people respond, how you respond, how a culture responds when it's violated. Mm. Um, so we can say that mar- uh, that sex isn't isn't sacred. Uh, all we want, and that m- marriage is malleable. It's a social construct. Um, but when we look at the Me Too movement, we can see that when sex isn't done right, when there's rape involved, um, there's deep damage done and there's deep outcry from a nation. And and that covenant of marriage is there to pr- protect something sacred. It's there to to allow this this covenant of grace and kindness and gentleness as well as exploration into something that is fragile, right? Very fragile. And when we exploit it, um, you get the Me Too movement. You get what we see today. Uh, so I, I think it's, it, it unfortunately sh- shows, shows that, that sex is, is sacred and meant to be taken very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's sad that we have to see it in this framing, but I think it's important to realize what we are seeing. So that, uh, that's interesting because we can have two different conversations with two different um, audiences. So if I'm speaking to Christians, right, uh, Christian men who are partaking in pornography, um, that's an easy conversation of why you should stop because the same moral framework is built in um, to where we can have that conversation, right? Like we, we can have that conversation on the same grounds. What, how would you, in that sense, um, speak to, um, somebody who doesn't have the same worldview, who doesn't have the same moral understandings as we do as Christians to implore them that this is something that can actually harm them? Like how, how would you do that? Yeah. So Thomas Aquinas had a really nifty way of looking at the image of God. He said that the image of God in, in a human being is their ability to see God. And whether that be through, through morals um, or through purpose or value uh, or through design, uh, it could play out a bunch of different ways. Um, but specifically in this situation, I, I really actually would, and I have, I have several times before, walked, walked people through uh, the indignation of rape. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know, and I've never met somebody who has, has said publicly that rape is okay. Mm. Um, so walking them through what it looks like when something is violated and to see the extreme reaction of that violation implies the extreme sanctity of that thing. Um, so that you can work on that metric. So taking them to, Right, because that's—I mean—that's a—that's a methodology. If you want to 
figure out what what is what used to be in a certain spot then you look in its context and surroundings you you look right with like i mean with detectives they go and they look at they look at the fallout from a from a crime scene or you look at like a geologists they go and they unearth what was around something to reconstruct what was there mm. right so with rape you go and you look at this thing and you look at the fallout and you look at what was supposed to be there and you you have things like like the sanctity of the human soul of relationships of the body and uh and of sex but wouldn't you say that i mean my argument straight to that is uh me performing rape on a woman is radically different than me sitting in my room with the door closed by myself watching pornography, like how can you equate those two things to say that I'm violating the sanctity in the same way that if I went out and raped a woman? Yeah. As a non-believer, like how, where do you get off? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you get off in your room by yourself, but, um, I think, uh, your question needs a little bit of unpackaging and it's, it's a really, really shallow, shallow way of, Mm. of, of looking at human identity and anthropology. We're not, islands unto ourselves again we've both been with a lot of men who have wrecked their families yeah. uh, because of this but even even uh, people are their imaginations um, imaginations are a big deal they help us envision the day they help us understand who we are who the people around us are uh, their value how to interpret them uh, how to approach them so if we're spending the most passionate the most passion that we can uh, taking advantage of people in our imaginations. Wow, yeah. That is, that is, we're just raping people in our imaginations, and we're we're saying that that's, it's it, and we're saying it's fine because it doesn't need to be consensual. Right. But you're just doing it in their imaginations, and then all of a sudden we're playing it out in the public stratosphere. Right. And it's just it's just wrecking stuff. Right, and I think it's evident that you know the things that you imagine long enough will come true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, again, I mean, it's, it starts with reducing yourself to that and then Mm. reducing other people to that. So, I mean, it's a self abuse that then trickles its cascades into social abuse. Yeah. Which leads us to our last point really well. Uh, the last part of the article that you wrote was the gospel and your body. Um, and you start the this section asking a simple question, what does Jesus have to do with your body? And this is a lot. This is a whole lot packed into, um, this is like, yeah, <laughs> you could write a dissertation about this in 238 words, unpacking what we're talking about here. And, and you did it well, I think, in 338. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is really um, where the rubber meets the road, right? When I'm asking why, why does it matter uh, biblically? This is where you unpack that. So you had said that Jesus, what Jesus did with his body matters. So what we do with our bodies matter. Yeah. yeah unpack that for us. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's, a lot it's so there. impressive. Um, uh, let's see. Um, so the gospels are, are oriented around what Jesus did with his body, right? He was incarnate, right? So he came in the body. Uh, he was baptized. He was physically baptized. These are these major markers as you read. He's led, physically led, into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. He physically fasts, right? He goes without water. 
without food. Uh, he touches people, right? So you got like the Messiah. He's all, all powerful. He could wave his hand over a multitude, but he decides to touch every single one of them. Mm. He touches them. He touches their body to heal um, them. Right. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah to wow. heal them. Um, so that level of intimacy is just worth noting. But then, then the gospels all stress that Jesus was, was physically tried, uh, physically crucified and then physically resurrected. Mm. Um, and the Nicene Creed takes up all of these themes, uh, what Jesus did with the, with his body. And then you see Paul, I mean, Paul picks up on this, this kind of, this theme of what Jesus did with his body matters for our body. And he uses that to create a sexual ethic. So he literally goes from Christology to sexual ethics, right? Mm -hmm. Where you've got there in one Corinthians five, six, seven, um, God talking, like Paul's talking about the significance of our bodies, uh, not what necessarily what you shouldn't do with your body, but what the value your body now has. Wow, yeah. uh, it's it's amazing that we're, we're organs of Christ. We're, we're members of Christ. We're, we're God's temple. We're mm. God's home, right? He lives inside of us. So can we really take that then and and bind it, right, with a prostitute? Can we bind it in sexual acts? And he's just... He's just going from Christ to sexual ethic, and that plays out in 1 Corinthians 15, where he has he he literally articulates what Jesus did with his body, and then ends that chapter with talking about the resurrected body. Um, so you see that play out in the Gospels, you see that play in the Nicene Creed, and then you see that play out in Paul's theology and his sexual ethic. And something that's striking for me, who works for a sexual integrity ministry that's aiming towards getting help for Christian men through the means of the local church is in first Corinthians, it should not like these things should not even be named among you. Like these things should be so far from yeah. the reality of Christian walk in the church yeah. that it shouldn't even be named. Like, and what's going on is I've, I, we've got statistics that literally say that 97% of Christian men have looked at pornography, yeah. right? And 32% of Christian men under the ages of 18 and 30 think that they are addicted to porn. Right. Like, and these are Christian evangelical Christians, right? Like these are men who ascribe to this. And the call is that it must not even be named among you. Yeah. Um, and you see the, the, the depravity through this just riddled the church, um, as Whaler would say, like a cancer. Yeah. Um, infects the body. Yeah. There's, uh, I think there's a lot more to being masculine and being feminine than guys mm. having locker room talk and and being proud of it. And then females having uh, having to like put up with it, having to deal with it. I think there's there's a, a strength to masculinity that allows us to weep with those who weep, to to hold those who are broken without them being worried if we watched porn the night before and and likewise with with women i i have a friend and and so i have these two friends i was hanging out with them and uh and the guy was talking about previous um relationships with women and it wasn't crass uh per se but he was flaunting it and uh, as if it is something he, he needed pity for, some kind of badge of honor, I'm not sure. But my friend, she, 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 she stopped him. She said, hey, that, that makes me really uncomfortable. Can you stop? And then he laughed and she said, no, no, no I, I actually, I need you to stop. If you want to talk about it, we can do that later. 
And it was it was soft but firm, and it showed me a, a side to femininity and and what females, what women can can do and contribute uh, with strength and power to really exhort and confront their brothers mm-hmm. uh, in these kinds of situations. Because there's there's a way of confronting that does damage, but there's a way of confronting that that really is out of love. Mm. Yeah, I love the way that you end this article. Let's take responsibility. Let's step into the light. No more settling. No more misrepresenting. The gospel will reveal you, but it will also clothe you. And that's something that, um, just to end on, something that I've been really resonated with uh, that I I saw for the first time, saw in the sense of, I actually saw it, it affected my life in scripture, was uh, you have Adam and Eve sin for the first time. They're hiding. They realize they're naked. They realize they're vulnerable. Mm. They run and they hide. Um, And not only does God seek them out, right? So not only does God say, hey, where where are you? I still want to commune with you. Like, right, he's he's not ignorant to the realities of what's going on in his universe that he's just created. And he seeks them out and says, hey, um, where are you? And Adam says, to some degree, you know, paraphrased here, but... um, I'm hiding because I realized I was naked. And, yeah. and God said, who told you yeah. you were naked? Mm. Um, and the next act is something that's been so remarkable uh, that I that resonates. The gospel mm. will reveal you, but it will also clothe you. Yeah. Is He slaughters a creation that he just created, so, an animal that he loves, that he valued, that he cherished enough to take the time to create, that Adam previously named. Mm. And I, I don't know if you're a hunter, um, or if anybody listening to this has hunted, but skinning a deer, a deer uh, or an animal in general is something that's like very, very intimate, mm-hmm. something that um, is not necessarily a fun thing to do. Um, it, it looks violent, but it's it's very intimate. Um, you've got this moment where the creator of this animal slaughters it on behalf uh, too clothed, too wrap in warmth and comfort, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, amidst their shame, amidst their sin um he slaughters his creation you see that play out later with christ obviously um as um yeah 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 you you see this the son of man you see the son of god go to the cross and he's naked and shamed for all the world to see and then he takes that to the grave so just to say that he takes our nakedness and our shame uh looking at that and looking at how even disgusting the cross is and it's beautiful for that reason because Jesus says this is how you look this is how shamed you are and I'm I'm going to take it to to the to the grave I'm mm-hmm. going to kill it for you because you can't kill it yourself and I'm going to resurrect and clothe you with something else and you see Paul pick that that theme up in 2 Corinthians 5 where he says not that you would be further unclothed but that you'd be further clothed and then and obviously in Revelation, we, we get those garments that reflect uh, who we are. They reflect mm. our deeds. They reflect uh, our relationship with Christ for all of eternity. Mm. Yeah, clothed, clothed in your righteousness. Yeah. So that I no yeah. longer have to act, right? That's yeah. good. That's yeah. really good. Well, Shane, I think we found ourselves at the end here. And yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, I know it was a heavy article. I know it, it's heavy to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate you being able to um, take the time to write that down, share with us, and to spend this time now to unpack it a little bit. For sure. 
For sure. It's great to be with you guys. Awesome. Well, uh, as you know, the podcasts are coming out every single month. So uh, this is February. Be on the lookout for April. We're going to have some really interesting conversation. And as always, if you're interested in... um, yeah, in a topic, if you uh, yeah have any suggestions because this is new, we could use uh, all the help that we can get. Uh, we want to help you as we can um, and as you need it. So uh, as always, if you're in trouble, if, you've, if you're dealing with this shame, you're, you're hiding because you're naked, um, Proving Men is here to help. Uh, you can reach out to me um, at Marshall, that's two L's, at ProvenMen.org, uh, and I would love to help. So go ahead and just put podcast in the subject line so I know the context. But as always, thank you for your time. Uh, we love you, uh, and uh, we'll see you next month. <laughs> <laughs>